welcome to another week of the Fiber Coven podcast. We're so excited to be back talking with each other and talking with you about some yarny stuff and some witchy stuff. I'm Lauren from Valkyrie Fibers. And I'm Emily from Kitty with a Cupcake. To start off with news, we're going to be having another Patreon craft night, and that is going to be on March 26th. That's a Sunday. And that's in support of one of our Fiber Coven friends, Clara, who's doing a 12-hour knit-a-thon, raising money for all sorts of um, food insecurity-related charities. Um, the, the whole event goes to multiple different charities that are all aimed at food insecurity. So that's great. Yeah. Yeah, so if you go to our show notes, you'll see the link where you can support our friend Clara in her knit-a-thon, and also there will be that craft night where you can come hang out with us on Patreon. Well, actually, just me, Lauren, Emily will be vending that day at a show, but you can come hang out with us in the coven and bring whatever craft you want, bring whatever beverages you like, and just hang out and have a good time with some really rad crafty people. Yeah. And that's going to be at 5 p.m. Pacific or 8 Eastern or wherever in the middle of that, if you're uh, in the middle of the country or anywhere else in the world. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. And speaking of that, I will be at a show that weekend. I will be at Lexington Comic Con, which is in Lexington, Kentucky, as you might have guessed. It is, I think Thursday is a preview day, but it's basically Thursday through Sunday. If you're in the area, it's pretty close to Cincinnati. uh, And it's a pretty big Comic-Con from what I understand. There's lots of different guests. I will be in the vendor hall. Look for me in the brochure as Kitty with a Cupcake. And then I will also be up in Columbus, Ohio uh, for Craft and Outlaws at Midwest Craft Con. Uh, That is Sunday the 2nd. Uh, so come visit me there it's in the columbus art museum it should be cool and then i will also be at the goblin market in atlanta which is a neat event where there are actors portraying goblins as well as the vendors and you can trade little trinkets with the goblins for random goblin magics etc that sounds like so much fun Mm -hmm. and that's in atlanta Yeah, it's in Marietta, Georgia, which is very close Mm. to Atlanta. Awesome. Awesome sauce. Well, on to our content. That's all the news we've got. I only finished one small thing because all my projects are gigantic, but um, I sewed up some little possum zipper notions pouches in the leftovers I had from making some dresses. I had got some zippers and I lined them with some kind of more like canvassy, heavier cotton fabric so they stand up. without interfacing pretty nice and they're in this nice little light blue and I used a white zipper on the one that's a little bigger and a yellow zipper for a contrast on the one that's a little smaller they're good size for pens and this was my first time making a little zipper bag I included a little tab that you could put like a ring on or put a carabiner through so you could clip it to something and I think these turned out nice enough for giveaways but not nice enough to sell they're definitely totally functional and good, but not quite so good that I I feel good charging money for them. So these will be good giveaway prices, and I'm really excited about them. They look nice. Mm-hmm. Did you finish anything? No, I'm almost finished with something, but it's not actually done yet. I worked mm. a bunch on this uh, <gasps> rainbow oh shawl goodness. that I've been working on in teal torch knits. It is so um, rainbowy. Yeah, it looks really good. I really like it. Uh, it really looked with a, it looked good with a lot of the outfits that I was wearing while I was working on it in New York this past week. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, this is like a heart shaped long kind of triangle shawl. Uh, I am going to be releasing the pattern uh, for freebies for Fiber Coven members and for like two bucks or something for other people's. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am on the last color <gasps> stripe here. Wow. So I only have a couple more rows to do. And I'm going to do mm-hmm. the bind off. This is my tiny little yarn oh, ball wow. here. So, what sort of bind off are you going to do? I don't know. Probably just a standard bind off, but kind of loose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's my plan, I think. Keeping it, keeping it simple on this one. It looks great. The kind of the start in the center of the shawl is more pinky purples, and then it's fading out to some more pastel y colors. It's very fun. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's been really fun to work on. I am ending up using eight mini skeins on it, and I think it's mm-hmm. I think it's a pretty good size. So I don't know, maybe I'll make more random mini skein shawls like this because it's been fun to work on. So that mm-hmm. is that thing. And maybe then- you should 
think about that for a spooky season MCAL and I can do some what we do in the shadows oh, mini skein sets and you can design something. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if the mini skeins would be good for an MCAL because I like to have the different clues be pretty different. Mm-hmm. We shall see. I'll ponder on this. I'll ponder on these facts. And then I started a project and got really far on the project. You're going to be really impressed mm-hmm. with me. Um, that I needed a vanilla project because I saw a bunch of theater and a bunch of music while I was in New York. So I needed something that was mm-hmm. just like tube, tube forever. Um, mm-hmm. So I decided to do another Musselberg hat. Yay! It's Yay. green. It's green. This is yarn that Clara got me forever ago. And mm-hmm. it's uh, from Fiber Stash Dye Works, Vermont, which is a local dyer to her. And it's called Moss. And it's in their Tweety Toes uh, mm-hmm. sock base. And uh, this this is the same tweed base that a lot of other dyers use. And I have found mm-hmm. that it doesn't hold up super great for socks. So I thought it would be a perfect hat. Um, and mm-hmm. it's going to be mm-hmm. a gift hat, maybe for one of my brother-in-laws or father-in-law. Because uh, I think it's a nice, like, tweed color for a dude who isn't super, you know, color adventurous, doesn't want a variegated hat kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it'll look really nice. So I am doing this in the extra large size. So this is my first nice. extra large Musselberg hat. It looks great. It's just a really nice tonal green. The yeah. tweedy bits are fun. The tweedy bits are fun. It's, you know, it's it's been a good time. So I'm going to keep that as my awesome. vanilla project. And then maybe I'll actually knit socks again when I finish this. Who can say? I know it's hard. I I'm on a sock moratorium because we have too many socks mm-hmm. in our house. I did. I so I did just like wear my socks in New York, and some of them like got holes in them and stuff. And some of them are getting pretty old. Like I've mended them a few times, and it might not be worth it to mend them again. So I might feel like I want to make myself more socks because I'm gonna like get rid of some of my like socks that are like mm-hmm. four or five years old. You know. Hmm. Yeah, we haven't quite hit that point yet. I've been lately when I've been doing the laundry, I've been trying to, you know, depill them and check them, and there's they're, ours are still holding up pretty good. Yeah, I'm pretty hard. I'm pretty hard on my socks, I guess. Mm-hmm. But yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I have been working on my insane Star Wars poncho. It is no longer merely an oatmeal blob. It has oh, I didn't colors. see the colors before when you tried it on for me. Yes. Um, I'm doing some little detailing and striping in the body. And I have this. So the main color is oatmeal and it's a uh, natural color from Prado de, Prado de Lana. And I really, really like it. Um, I'm glad it's my main yarn. But I worked in a few few rows of linen stitch. And then I worked in kind of like a dark grungy brown and then more linen stitch. And then I'm onto some hand spun tweedy green. And uh, I'm pretty jazzed on it. It is enormous because it's a giant square poncho. Uh, the rows are taking me forever and it's quite the schlog. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's really fun to knit, but it's also, it's it's becoming hard to manage with all the stitches on the needle. Legit. Um, but I did finish the hood. This is, I have the marker still in from where I was last time. I pulled it out at least twice. Um, I went through some some experiments in how to knit the hood of this thing because I wanted a big like Jedi looking hood and took me a couple tries to get it right. First I tried doing short rows like decreasing uh, of a heel and that didn't quite sit the way I wanted to so I ripped it out. But the cool thing is what I really like about this yarn is that it's sticky like Velcro so it's super easy to pull out and things were laddering down. It was easy to pull out and stick my needles back in. But usually when yarn is that like Velcro and crunchy, it doesn't feel soft. It feels pretty soft. It's just nice. like best of both worlds. Um, so look at look at the size of this enormous oh my hood. God, it's, it's like so big. a foot and a half. It's like a whole sweater of it hood. Is. It is probably about, <laughs> it's it's close, it's, I would say it's at least 200 grams worth of knitting. So after I picked up for the, around the neckline, I'll be writing all of this down. I did take notes. I increased, I did six inches of knitting in the round and linen stitch. I opened it up for the front of the hood. I did decreasing along the sides so that it had a good base opening. I did more straight knitting. 
And then I decreased along the backside. And then I actually did some short rows more akin to your waxing moonshawl on either side mm. on the top. Mm-hmm. And then I did a three needle bind off because I was a little lazy. And that, I don't know if lazy, but like that was just the way I wanted to bind off. I, since I'm working this whole hood in linen stitch, I didn't think it would look as good grafted. Yeah, I, I could see that being kind of a pain. Yeah, because like I could graft it, but I think it would it would look like stock net if I grafted it. And I don't want that. I'd rather have the seam of the three needle bind off. Mm-hmm. I think that's legit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's cozy and comfortable and it's fitting the way I want it to. And I can't wait to be the local cryptid of the woods in my Jedi poncho. Not yeah. really a Jedi poncho, but a Star Wars poncho. Well, yeah, a space poncho. Mm-hmm my rebel poncho that's what i'm calling yeah it's it. more of a rebel poncho than a jedi poncho mm-hmm. and i'm using these knitting barber uh, uh, plastic cables to hold extra stitches when i try it on and these things are dope highly recommend them mm-hmm. um the only other thing i've really been putting a lot of effort into is my blanket it is huge mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's been so long since you've seen my blanket it, it has been, been so long look at all that I know it's been a couple of weeks since we recorded. It's getting big. I'm now into March. This is the heirloom temperature blanket by Soraya Hussain. And I'm absolutely loving it. We've had two snowstorms since you saw it. And you can, you can really tell when the snowstorms happen because there's certain colors, the way I laid out my temperature gradient. Yeah. Snowstorm here. Snowstorm here. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's pretty wild, but um the March pattern, I don't know if you can see, it's these cute little zigzags in the mosaic crochet, and I really like it. It's fun. Yeah. Blanket. Cute. So this is the full length of the blanket. Wow, it's so big. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, it's going to be huge. Yeah, it's going to be epic. Super jazzed. Yeah, have you been working on your blanket? I, I did a little bit, but I didn't, I didn't even bring it here with me because it wasn't that much. I mostly worked on the shawl. Right, right. I can't believe you didn't bring your blanket on a trip. I did bring it with me. I just didn't work on it. It's so it's not blanket sized, right? Like it, it was smaller than my shawl when I brought it with me. Mm. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. but you need van- more vanilla y things for mm-hmm. travel. Yeah, yeah, that's fun. Uh, we did get things. Uh, I guess I could go first since I've only got one little thing that I got. Yeah. I ordered some soaps from Long Winter Soap Co. And I got some sweater soap because I wanted, I was all out of my wool wash and I wanted bar soap and not something that came packaged in plastic. So I got this one and it's Cotswold and um, it's um, like a lot of their soaps are vegan, which is nice. And this one is geranium and patchouli scented, which I really like. It's really pretty. And then since I was, if I was getting it shipped, it meant as well. I got, so I got a couple bars of sweater soap for your knits and i got some people soap and this is almond and oat oh, smells great that sounds good yeah i like it so i got some fancy schmancy soaps fancy soaps what treasures did you acquire on your trip to new york i got assorted treasures on my trip to new york um mm-hmm. i went to kino kunia kunia mm-hmm. which is the japanese bookstore that is also in san francisco and I got mm-hmm. one of those little like paper model kits. Ooh. I've never had one of these before, but they look really cute and I've always been interested in them. But this one is right up my alley because it is Kiki's Magic Emporium. And it's like mm-hmm. clearly Kiki's delivery service inspired little mm-hmm. witch shop with little drawers and little jars of magical things. It looks really cute. It's got lights so it'll have little cute lights in it when i make it and that looks fun it's super cute this is more stuff from there in this i got this plastic bin i found this Mm -hmm. plastic bin uh it's just like a stationary plastic bin at a random uh japanese like beauty supply store that we just passed in the east village and it was three dollars which is looking around because i feel like i have the same one sitting so cheap Uh, but I thought it'd be good to <laughs> transport prints in mm-hmm. for stuff. So I got that. This is a cute sticker that I found. Portal Ooh. to the Feminist Utopia. It's just like a little rock cave that says mm-hmm. that. It's glittery. It's fun. I met up with 
Rose, who is the artist that I designed the Halloween Witch Kitty um, mm-hmm. pin with. And she brought me this really cute spooky season forever little card that mm-hmm. she designed. That's festive. Um, and then this is the rest of the stuff I got from. And uh, their um, business name is Honeybun Flattering, right? Yes. Thank you. Thank you for actually saying that. Uh, this is the rest of the stuff I got from Kinokuniya. Um, I got a Japanese edition of Fruits Basket. Mm-hmm. Um, I am Jap- doing Japanese Duolingo. And I... Mm-hmm. Um, wanted to get a manga to practice I thought about getting like a kids manga but Mm -hmm. I don't think that I will enjoy reading that I think I might like struggle to actually do that but I've read this in English like a billion times and I really know the story so I think that this might actually be good I think it will also help me because I know everyone's names because everyone's names are it's not one like some mangas they change like their name to steve or whatever instead of their japanese Mm -hmm. name but i think that knowing their names will help me with the characters and the sounds actually uh yeah because some i know that's hard when you're learning things in a new language you're like what is this word oh it's a name it's not like a word especially in japanese so many of the names are words also Mm -hmm. so that's a thing i mean when i was learning spanish when i was in high school that's what i did i i my childhood favorite books that mm-hmm. were like YA level. I read them in Spanish. Like I did some Roald Dahl, um, mm-hmm. the Phantom that no longer gets named. Um, I did those in Spanish and because I was so familiar with the stories, it really helped me learn. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then this is a washi tape cutter. Oh, which I thought oh, was fun to, to cut your washi tape straight. So I'm going to test that out. This is my favorite Tombow pencil in pink Mm -hmm. i have it in purple it's my all-time favorite mechanical pencil for drawing so i got another one because i'm really afraid of losing it because i like it so much this is a little crystal totoro in a package that i haven't opened yet and then these are fun these are teeny tiny scissors so they're a little foldable you fold them out scissors i thought they'd be good for snipping yarn and i got you a pair too (gasps) yay tiny scissors so those are festive and then this is just a we went to the Lamy store because there's a Lamy store Mm -hmm. in new york and i got a little case for a pen little pen sleeve because it was purple Mm -hmm, mostly mm -hmm. okay that's what was in here continue (laughs) to dig through things so many fun little art supplies and trinkets fun little trinkets i also got to go to mini so for the first time, which is kind of like a, um, I'm not sure if it's Japanese or Korean, but it's a little like kind of five below that like carries mostly like cute things. They have a ton of cute plush. They have like walls and walls of cute, like $10 squishy plush. And I'm very impressed with myself that I did not get any cute plush, but I did get this tiny little shopping basket uh-huh. <laughs> that is pink. And I thought this would be good for photos. Basically. It's a great display yeah good display good for little photos it was like three bucks and then i also got this pumpkin light um so he's he's like a little battery operated light like my dumpling one i have so he's gonna live at the studio for when the power goes out i can have a light to carry around Mm -hmm. with me um what else we got we got a little figure from miniso these are little sanrio characters on a rocking Mm -hmm. horse I got more a blind little, box action. Yeah, I got a little pom pom purin who sits cute. on top of a rocking horse. He's cute. Um, I got a cute. This is a Mickey, like lanyard mm-hmm. keychain that was for Miniso mm-hmm. too. He was a blind box. He's a little bumblebee. And what else did I do? I went to Big Bud Press and I tried on a bunch of their. So they are a made in the USA, um, clothing store. And they have like really Mm -hmm. cute pants and like overalls and stuff. And I was excited to go there and try stuff on because buying clothes on the internet is hard, but Mm -hmm. super in between sizes, Mm. like to a ridiculous degree, like they shouldn't even have that big of a difference in their sizes. I would say like, I cannot zip the smaller size of pants and Mm -hmm. the bigger size is like huge like disturbingly Mm -hmm. large so i didn't get any pants but they did so i'm in between the xl and the 1x and they're making Mm -hmm. a 0x 
So in theory, that size will work for me when it comes out. But I did get a cute tote bag there, mm. which is this really nice purple color. It's got these pockets that will be good to put my pins on and it has a zippy. So cute tote bag. I went to Books Are Magic in Brooklyn, which was a <laughs> cute store. They had a really good witchcraft selection there. And I got this Missing Witches book, uh, Recovering True Histories of Feminist Magic. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that is neat. It's like an intersectional feminist book about different historical witches. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I also went to Brooklyn General while I was in Brooklyn and I got this yarn, which they had a really good selection Ooh. of La Bienna Me. So I got these two skeins because they were just like too, too good together. It's a pinky, rosy pink, like a peony pink. And then it's a like, nice... it's a little bit more orangey mm, in real life. Corally. Yeah. It's like a bright pinky coral. Mm-hmm. And then this is a little bit more electric than it's coming off in the video, mm. but it is still a deep electric purple, but they look nice together. And the names they of do. the colors are Floro Morganite and the Flying Knitter. Mm-hmm. I love stuff. Yay. Yay. Sweet. Things. Yep. Is that all of your treasure? The only other thing I got is a uh, squishy gummy bear that I found at a random store. That is a Like fish. for eating? It's a fidget gummy bear. Oh, oh, that's like the fidget toys of the 90s, like those big slidey cucumbers full of, you right? know, stress balls. The packaging mm-hmm. very much looks like you could have found it at a Spencer's. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. The early aughts were a wild time. Mm-hmm. Truly wild. Oh, my goodness. Wow. This week for Occult Corner, we are cutting back to Emily and Lauren of a few weeks ago and finishing up our tale of Jack Parsons, rocket scientist, occultist, and messy bitch. You can hear all about the second half of his all too short life, not to um, spoiler alert that one, but yeah, he he led a crazy life full of very exciting things and um, we can hear about the second half of it and he's the... Uh, Definitely the link between the uh, founder, one of the founders of modern occultism, Alistair Crowley, and, um, you know, L. Ron Hubbard, Scientologist, who uh, who we're going to hear about next week. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Fantastic. So um, I hope you enjoy the story of the second half of Jack Parsons' wildlife. And um, hooray! Here we start part two of the thrilling tale of Jack Parsons. So where we left off, he was in his late 20s and he had just assumed leadership of the Thelemic OTO Temple in Southern California. And uh, things were looking all right. He was doing lots of good like military defense contract work for the government through Caltech and the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. But unfortunately, by 1944, both Jack Parsons and his childhood friend Edward Foreman are kicked out of the JPL which they were founding members of, by the way, mm. due to prejudice against Jack Parsons' alternative lifestyle, but also due to not unfounded safety concerns. Yeah, maybe maybe the alternative lifestyle, easy to cite, but also doing a whole bunch of drugs <laughs> yeah. while blowing stuff up. Yeah, I feel like if like there were definitely, he wasn't very safe, he was on drugs, and he was... Uh, out and out pagan um i feel like maybe the org like establishment organizations could have put up with any two of those things but not all three yeah yeah so he and foreman are kicked out but they they were bought out actually um so he's given a pretty good chunk of change and he was able to buy the oto mansion Oh, which is pretty cool so they mm-hmm. didn't like totally 100 percent screw him over the lodge becomes known as the Parsonage, which I find delightful. <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good name. <laughs> exactly. And it is in a very nice neighborhood in Pasadena. And the neighbors are constantly calling the cops on them. But 
Jack Parsons is charismatic and white and well-spoken, and he's able to talk the cops down most of the time, even though they're probably having orgies and playing loud music. The neighbors report of pregnant women jumping over bonfires. Um, There is also a very bad situation. There was a young 16-year-old who did go to the cops with a rape allegation against members of the temple, but it was never investigated. Part of me wants to be like, if that was founded, they would have loved to have like put these people away because they're weirdos. Um, but part of me is like, they did. Yeah, cops yeah. have never taken rape allegations seriously. So that is definitely a concerning thing, mm-hmm. right? We should believe victims. Yes. Uh, but also at this point, Jack Parsons is no longer employed by the university or the government. So he needs money. So he starts renting out his rooms to anybody in this, you know, mansion to anybody who fits the funky vibes and normies need not apply. It, I think in their classified ad, it said any mundane souls will be unceremoniously rejected. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You got to be so, cool with our pregnant women jumping over bonfires. Yeah. Yeah. And there's posters of Aleister Crowley on the wall. There's statues of Pan. There's weird symbols everywhere. There's free love going on on every flat surface, I imagine. Mm-hmm. And into this chaotic and fantastic household enters in September of 1945, a 30-ish year old Lafayette Ronald Hubbard. <laughs> Ron Hubbard will be a major character in this story from here on out. Mm-hmm. So at this point in late 1945, L. Ron Hubbard is broke and failing to lie successfully enough to get military disability because he did serve during World War II, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. And um, he is succeeding and is ignoring his wife and children that he had before the war. He immediately, as soon as he gets into this house, starts spewing BS at anybody who will sit down long enough and paying as little rent as possible. And he also starts railing Sarah's brains out. Sarah being Jack Parsons' steady girlfriend, you know, the younger sister of his first wife. Yeah. Yeah. And this is a problem. Uh she pretty much starts dating L. Ron Hubbard over and choosing him over Jack Parsons. And Jack Parsons had been being like, oh, yes, we're poly. Jealousy is beneath us. It's a, a emotion for less evolved people for a long time. And even though he was jealous and devastated, he had to try and play it cool. Right. Because he had been with women while he was with her. So it's like, oh, no. <laughs> right right no i'm sure it was open and everybody was like uh, you know allowed to be non-monogamous but yeah she you, pretty get, much you get stopped. the impression that they were primary partners and exactly. then when l ron hubbard gets in the picture she picks him as her primary partner exactly that is the feel of it but Ron Hubbard absolutely wants to keep getting access to this cheap rent and in a kinky polycule mansion full of people that will have sex with him. Like, cause who wouldn't? And so he starts sucking up to Jack Parsons really, really hard being his best friend, like getting really into all the magic stuff with him. Um, basically trying to be as buddy, buddy as possible. So he can keep banging his now ex-girlfriend and getting cheap rent in a cool house. And he's extremely successful at this. Jack Parsons writes to Crowley during this time about what a great guy L. Ron Hubbard is, even though he was absolutely devastated that Sarah had left him. Yeah. And this brings us to early 1946, just a few months after L. Ron Hubbard moved into the house. Uh, in order just to prove how cool he was about L. Ron Hubbard and Sarah now being together, they joined a business venture together, reselling yachts called Allied Enterprises. At this point, it was the war was over, and Jack was convinced that rocketry was not going to be funded during peacetime, so he was trying to diversify. And they had this scheme that they were going to buy yachts on the East Coast, sail them through the Panama Canal, and resell them on the West Coast. So Jack Parsons puts in $20,000. L. Ron Hubbard puts in 
$1,200 and Sarah ah. puts in nothing. Ah. Like you do mm-hmm. when you're a trusting person. And also, too, in early 1946, L. Ron Hubbard and Jack Parsons embark on the Babylon workings, which run from January to March. And this is based off of Crowley's 1917 book, Moonchild. But long story short, they're just trying to manifest a new girlfriend for Jack. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so phase one of I, the Babylon. Also, I, we got to bring up again. Moonchild is one of Crowley's fictional works. Yes. It's so interesting to me that they decide to like try and do stuff from that work when a ton of Crowley's works were quote unquote nonfiction. They were like, here, do this ritual and like mm-hmm. stuff will happen or like here is how you perform the sex mass. It's just so interesting that they're specifically working off of the fictional one. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and uh, it's a little Moonchild. From what I uh, read, was a little bit of like a self-insertion fiction too. Yeah. Anyway, so phase one of the Babylon workings was kickoff in January of 1946. They are trying to summon an incarnation of the Thelemite goddess Babylon, and the Thelemite goddess Babylon is basically she's an independent, liberated female Earth like fertility deity, and. Basically, it's Crowley's mashup of the Whore of Babylon from the Book of Revelations, as well as a bunch of other mythological female fertility deities. And it's also like the Scarlet Woman, which comes up in Crowley's works and in his life all the time. It's that same character of a sexually liberated woman deity. And I get the impression that this archetype of the goddess Babylon or the Scarlet Woman is basically just the imaginary perfect consort for the self-insert male protagonist for counterculture fiction. Mm-hmm. That's just my impression as a feminist. <laughs> <laughs> so in reality, phase one of summoning this goddess, it was a ton of Jack Parsons beating his meat to classical music while L. Ron Hubbard took notes and said a bunch of spooky stuff that fit the vibes. This, these rituals also included a ton of ceremonial knives and daggers, which I'm sure got thrown around. And it also included quantities of drugs that would make Keith Richards blanch. Mm. So, yeah, Jack Parsons was depressed that his girlfriend had left him. So they were doing these sex magic rituals for the Babylon workings. And this went on for a long time. And it culminated in a field trip to do more of the same sort of ritual out in the Mojave Desert in February of 1946. And after that, Jack Parsons was like, I'm tired. I'm done. I'm dehydrated. I have no more fluids left in my body. We need to go home. That was me paraphrasing. I like it. And shortly after they returned from doing their final phase one, uh, I'm calling it that myself. Um, It's not like what they called it. Their final like ritual for phase one of the Babylon workings. Artist named Marjorie Cameron shows up at the Parsonage, presumably to party because it's a cool house full of people that like to party. Yeah. Um, And she is a gorgeous, talented artist and a redhead. And therefore, she is Jack's elemental and a scarlet woman. They're like, we summoned her. We summoned the goddess. By jerking it. By jerking (laughs) it in the desert on drugs. Yeah. And they start hooking up almost instantly. And I hope she was happy. But honestly, the red flags are abundant. It is just an open field full of red flags here. Obviously, there's big rebound energy. Jack Parsons is 100% on the rebound. And it's giving me the vibes of like, man with main character syndrome sees a fully realized human as the muse Mm -hmm. and or like an NPC in his story Or in Jack's case, he definitely saw her as like a tool to complete the Babylon workings. He genuinely, I think, loved her, but... But she's more of a plot device than a person. Exactly. Yeah, so kind of, I think it's red flag central. So after Marjorie enters the picture in March of 1946, they start phase two of the Babylon workings, which is conceiving the moon child, or I've heard other people call it like a homunculus, and bring on what I'm calling apocalypse light. So 
once this moon child was conceived, they were supposed to bring on an apocalypse, but it was more focused on shattering kind of like societal norms, patriarchal, monogamous, Christian, Western world order, that sort of a thing, and bringing in like an old-timey libertarian back when the word libertarian meant like liberal leftist progressives. Um, Yeah, they're trying to bring up a libertarian anarchy and not like a societal or planetary collapse. They just wanted personal liberties for everyone. Mm -hmm. And the ritual was supposed to result in the moon child being born somewhere on Earth. They're kind of, they're trying to pull the end of Fight Club. Yes. But through sex magic, not through destroying banking systems. Despite the fact of knowing a lot about explosives. Right. They could have definitely had a soap company. Yeah. So the moon child was supposed to just be born somewhere on Earth, and they were not directly trying to impregnate Marjorie, which is nice. I would be really alarmed if a guy I'd met a couple weeks ago was already trying to impregnate me with sex magic. Mm-hmm. And I've heard like some places that the moon child was supposed to be like a child with a person without a soul, and they could be like the vessel for the soul of like a wizard or an antichrist. Yeah, I've heard I, of that not, too. Yeah, not super certain on it. But in practice, this ritual was a three-day sex marathon, much like before, but now with a woman, which was very exciting. Yeah. And Jack Parsons wrote excitedly to Crowley about it. And Crowley had no clue what was going on. He's like, what are you even talking about, my fellow? (laughs) But Jack was so convinced of the success of this ritual that he sold the parsonage. It was soon demolished. And he and Marjorie moved into the coach house on the property. Parsons resigns from the OTO because he thinks it's too hierarchical, but he still loves and practices the lemma. And Marjorie, shortly after this uh, conclusion of the Babylon working sex ritual, she sees a UFO and it is one of the very first UFO sightings. And of course, they take it as a sign that the moon child will be born. Mm. Mm -hmm. And Jack Parsons and Marjorie Cameron were married Four days after Jack Parsons' divorce to his first wife, Helen Northrup, were, was finalized. Oh. Like you do. Cool, cool. So they, but at this, they just got that finalized because he wanted to marry Marjorie, basically? Yeah. They'd been happily separated for yeah, a I mean, few they, years they, at this yeah. point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Later on, in 1946, a very tumultuous year for Jack Parsons, Sarah and L. Ron Hubbard take that money and run, and they just start living it up in Florida. They are buying boats as per the plan, but they have no intention of bringing them to the West Coast and reselling them and repaying back Jack Parsons. They're just using his money to buy boats, which L. Ron Hubbard absolutely loves a boat. He loves a boat. (laughs) (laughs) You'll hear more in subsequent weeks about how much L. Ron Hubbard loves Loves boats. Loves him a boat. Uh Um, Soon after this, Jack realizes that he's been conned by people he considered close friends. It's devastating. And he goes to confront them over in Florida uh, there is a squall, which Jack says he summoned with magic, and it prevents Sarah and L. Ron Hubbard from leave- leaving. But another thing that prevents them from leaving is that he takes them to court because he wants his money back. Fair, fair. They do manage to settle, and L. Ron Hubbard gives Jack Parsons back $2,900, and Sarah agrees not to press charges for statutory rape against Jack Parsons. Hey, that's a good deal. Which I think is fair, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's just a rough situation all around. And after this, Jack returns to the West Coast, pretty bummed out because it's a bummer of a situation in general. It's now the late 40s. We're getting into the McCarthy era and the Red Scare. And there is the House of Un-American Activities Committee, or HUAC, as it's known. Mm -hmm. (laughs) HUAC, I've heard before. HUAC, to quote Robert (laughs) Evans from Behind the Bastards. And the HUAC is interrogating lots of celebrities and prominent Americans with leftist Marxist or Marxist leanings. And um, they do absolutely call Jack Parsons in because he is a famous local weirdo and they strip him of his security clearance due to him being subversive and a quote unquote, and there is sexual perversion. But 
he also had tons of friends who were just straight up communists. So it makes, it's a bummer and it's not fair, but it makes sense why he got hauled in front of the committee. At this point, since he can't work in the rocket science industry, he starts bootlegging nitroglycerin again, which is my favorite sentence I have ever written in my life is starts bootlegging nitroglycerin again. again. <laughs> <laughs> Things are really hard and he temporarily separates from Marjorie, which is a great big bummer. And he goes on a thalemic sex magic bender with sex workers that he deemed his black pilgrimage. Yeah, it was kind of a dark time for him, I imagine. He also wrote a third-person autobiography called Analysis by a Master of the Temple under the name Bilarion Armillus Al-Dajal. Okay. Yeah, which is basically a collection of spooky names from various sorts of old texts. I believe I'm quoting Behind the Bastards from this one, but uh, Al-Dajjal is basically like the Arabic word for the devil or the adversary, you know, just taking from Lovecraft and like, oh, we'll throw in an Arabic word to make it spooky. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So by 1950, when Jack is about 35 years old, he's doing some contract work for the Hughes Aircraft Company, as well as an Israeli uh, rocket program. And this involves technical reports. And the Hughes Company accuses him of espionage. Hughes like Howard Hughes. Yes, Hughes like Howard Hughes. Exactly. Uh, There is an FBI investigation, and in January of 1952, he is found, Jack Parsons is found not guilty of espionage, but he is banned from all classified work for the government. And that is, of course, a real big bummer. By 52, he's reconciled with Marjorie Cameron, and they've moved back into the coach house at the Parsonage property, and he is making special effects explosives for Hollywood, and they're planning a life together as expats, possibly to Israel or possibly to Mexico. They hadn't decided, but they were back together, and at least that part of his life wasn't falling apart. And then we come to the fateful day of June 17th of 1952. Two, Jack Parsons is 37 years old, and he receives a rush order for explosives for a film. Uh, there is an accident, an explosion, and he receives mortal injuries and dies at the hospital less than an hour later. At, like I said, at 37 years old, very young. Mm-hmm. Um, it was ruled an accidental death, but there is a ton of speculation about it. Uh, some people suspect suicide because he did absolutely suffer from depressive episodes and like many creatives and artists, he had bursts of extreme creativity and periods of, you know, extreme melancholy as they would have called it back in the day. Mm -hmm. And there was a little history of mental health struggle in his family possibly, but he was planning a future with Marjorie. They were planning a life together and purportedly his last words in the hospital were, but I'm not finished yet. So, I, I personally don't think it was suicide. Um, some people think it was like a magical ritual gone wrong. And it also could have been an accident. That's extremely plausible. His childhood friend, Eddie Borman, who'd been doing scientific research with him since they were kids, said he sometimes he got sweaty hands. And some of his coworkers from companies he had worked in that he didn't found or own said that he was careful and neat. So it's good to know that he could be careful and neat when he was working for someone else, but this was not the case when he was working for himself. All the time, there were many other people who had worked with him who said he was not careful, safe, or neat at all. And he definitely, absolutely did a ton of drugs. So it's extremely plausible that it could have been an accident. Mm -hmm. Also could have been an assassination. He had a list of enemies that you could really hang your hat on. I'm actually like kind of proud for him. And if like I die with these sort of enemies, like I would be proud as well. (laughs) So he was, um, there's no accusations that the FBI killed him, but he was super paranoid about the FBI after being investigated by them. And he really didn't like the FBI. He had enemies at Hughes Aircraft Company. I think in addition to them accusing him of like international espionage, they were accusing him of theft and corporate espionage. So they did not like him. So he had like a huge capitalist for an enemy. The LAPD didn't like him either. So (laughs) yeah, those were some of his enemies. And he was involved in Israeli rocket scientists, science programs. Uh, So people who were anti-Semitic or anti-Zionist also 
had a bone to pick with him as well. I'm not trying to say everything the state of Israel has done has been great, but maybe people deserve to live, mm-hmm. you know, murder's bad. So yeah, he, he had a, he had a pretty good list of people who, uh, if they didn't cause his death, were pretty happy that he died. So after this fatal accident explosion, he was cremated and his ashes were scattered in the Mojave Desert where he so liked to jerk it. <laughs> and that's good. Yeah, so maybe that's, like... That's nice. Mm-hmm, maybe next time you rub one out, you know, pour one out oh, to, to, to Jack Parsons. <laughs> who really liked uh, sex and drugs and blowing things up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So I'm going to conclude here by talking about his legacy, which is very fascinating to me. And his scientific legacy, he had seven U.S. patents and he was a founding member of the Jet Propulsion Laboratory Laboratory in Aerojet. And he did a ton of the foundational science needed for space exploration, which is just so cool. He was a lifelong anti-authoritarian and proponent of sexual liberation for all. And before his death, he was actually really excited about Kinsey's work. He thought it was going to be really societally revolutionary. He was constantly critical of American political hypocrisy and especially of the police. This is kind of a paraphrase from his Wikipedia phrase and there's snippets of things he said. He viewed the police as ruthless punishment of symbolic scapegoats of which he viewed as African-Americans sex sex workers, people experiencing homelessness or addiction, sociopolitical radicals, all while proclaiming liberty and justice for all. And I like cleaned up and modernized some of that language there. He also has had a huge influence on the American counterculture, and he was just the embodiment of the mad scientist. Uh, He inspired modern Satanism under LaVey in like the 60s, as well as elements of neo-paganism And also he was an inspiration to anarchists and leftist libertarians from back in the day before the right wing stole that word. Another way he influenced society is that the UFO sighting that Marjorie Cameron had uh, during the Babylon workings, sex magic rituals was one of the first. So you could say he was one of the first people to start the UFO craze that really took off during the space race. And he was also an inspiration to one of my favorite authors, Alan Moore, who does primarily graphic novels and comic books. You might know his works, uh, Watchmen, Beaver Vendetta, Leave Extraordinary Gentlemen, and From Hell. Those were some of my favorites, uh, which is interesting. In 1989, they published an essay collection of Jack Parsons, posthumously, of course, called Freedom is a Two-Edged Sword. And I was going to end with a quote from him. And it is, The will must be freed of its fetters. The ruthless examination and destruction of taboos, complexes, frustrations, dislikes, fears, and disgusts hostile to the will is essential to progress. I think was neat. Just like that uh, individual freedoms are important sort of a thing. And I think he was a super fascinating figure, a problematic fave. And like I said at the very beginning, rocket scientist, occultist, and messy bitch yeah 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 it's very interesting i like that he kind of like partook in alternative religions and interacted with two people who like prominently founded their own religion but didn't do that thing and actually like resigned from being the head of Mm -hmm. the oto house and was like more chill yeah yeah i think he was too trusting to have started his own cult yeah Mm-hmm. He just seemed like he wanted to um, do goth-flavored polyamory. Yeah. And I'm um, glad that w- he got to do that. And um, I'm not happy that he died before his time, but it's very fitting. I think we went, he went out in the way that uh, you could have foreseen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of the sources I drew on are, of course, Wikipedia and just like Googling rabbit holes off of Wikipedia There is a Behind the Bastards episode if you like your storytelling a lot more crass and with more curse words than I'm allowed to use here. And that was done in March of 2020. The episodes aren't numbered, so you have to go in the backlog or just Google it. Jack Parsons has come up in the Lore podcast before. I couldn't find the exact episode, but they also did an episode of their TV show. It's episode six of season two, and it's very much a dramatization. There's no L. Ron Hubbard in it at all, which I found very disappointing. 
And also, too, that's weird. If you look up nothing else about Jack Parsons and his life, you should look up Marjorie Cameron's art. It's super trippy and interesting. And like, I, I want I've to print it up before. You should definitely look it up. It's like trippy and horny and interesting and psychedelic ish, but like dark. Oh, it's it's really beautiful and interesting. I find it to be interesting. Yeah. So I hope you liked this discussion on Jack Parsons. Cool. And that's it for uh, part two on Jack Parsons. Hope you liked it. Thanks. Fantastic. So I hope you enjoyed that story. And now we're going to do a little shameless self-promotion before we head on out of here. I'll be having a shop update on March 26th, the same day as our virtual craft night for our patrons. And I should be having some new Star Wars yarn in there. I haven't dyed it up yet, but I'm very excited about it. I have plans. And what about you, Emily? You have some promo? Yes, I just had a little shop update go live and it includes the fairy pocket pin set, which is the companion pin set to the witchy pocket, which has been my most popular pin. I think it's super cute. If you like fairies, you like cute stuff, you have 90s nostalgia, you'll probably enjoy it as well. Yeah, it's like cottage core 90s nostalgia and you have it in prints and project bags and pins and everything. Yes, yes. So there's a project bag of it and a print. And then there are three other print designs that are available, including Witchy Pocket, a marshmallow monster, and a cute little graveyard situation. And then there are also some stickers that I had failed to put up in previous shop updates. So check that out. And then later, maybe like early April, the Zodiac merit badges are going to be up in the shop. Ooh, that's super fun. Uh great so thank you so much for hanging out with us and spending your time with us we love it and until next week coven keep making yarn magic oh i forgot to say (laughs) if you're looking for us anywhere around the internet you just head on over to fibercoven.com that'll have our show notes for everything we talked about here that will have links to my yarn and emily's merch and patterns and anything you could want to know about us fibercoven.com will get you there so yes now Until next week, Kevin, keep making yarn magic. Bye. Bye.